The following episode contains references to a near-death experience, mental health, gender identity, and mild coarse language. Please exercise discretion to decide if listening to this episode is right for you. Have you ever been at an intersection with your indicator on left and wondered what would happen if you turned right? How would that decision to change direction and take a different road impact your life? This is I'm at a Crossroad, the podcast about life's ultimate plot twists, where you will hear stories from people who have faced a life-changing decision. This episode. And the moment they took the x-ray, everything changed. When Kaya Wilson got a PhD in the science of tsunamis, he couldn't have imagined that a wave would nearly kill him. The accident just hit the accelerator. Before a surfing accident in 2016, Kaya had been living as a woman and questioning his gender and his place in the world. Well, if I don't do this now, when will I do it? His accident made him realise that he had to live his truth and make the transition to live as a man. Hi, I'm Kaya Wilson and I'm going to tell the story of the crossroads I came to when I had a horrific surfing accident. One thing led to another and suddenly I was trans. It's actually quite hard to think back to that time. It's a real sort of mental leap. But my life was generally good. I was doing my PhD in tsunamis. I had a van, I was driving down the coast, I was surfing every other day. It sounds pretty idyllic, but I definitely had a kind of underlying questioning about my gender and a sort of underlying questioning about my place in the world. I was living a very sort of queer social life in Sydney. I was experimenting with pronouns. I was already sort of socially changing my name. There were other things going on at the time as well. My dad was pretty sick and I had a bit of conflict with my family, I guess. But yeah, life life was fine. You know, it was a really beautiful day. I'd like driven my van up the coast. I was uh, there for my friend's PhD and we were measuring the waves and it was very idyllic. And it was lunchtime and I just grabbed my surfboard and went out for a surf. Sort of clean waves, nothing too hectic, nothing really too scary. I was like a little bit self-aware because, you know, my colleagues were on the beach and they would probably watch me. Like performance anxiety or something, but I just like got a couple of waves and was really enjoying it. I, forgot about those things and then I just caught one wave. It was a quite a clean, nice left-hander and I kind of rode it high and came off the wave and then just went to dive into the wave to, to swim out the back and I, I went headfirst into a sandbank. It was a horrific accident and I was able to still walk and I knew I'd done something really bad. So I was able to get myself out of the water. There's like this moment of survival, but then there's also this realization of what now? And I managed to communicate my situation and my colleagues called an ambulance, went to the hospital. Although every single step was an age. Every moment had a very disconnected sense of time. Even just waiting for the ambulance was very drawn out. It was in an absolutely extreme amount of pain. And I also just felt like very enraged by different things. Like for example, the Ambos were these kind of jovial dudes, but they 
didn't really take it seriously in a way. I mean, they did on a professional level, but they were like, oh, we just think you're a bit anxious. You'll be fine. You know, that sort of like <laughs> diminishing of women's pain, which is so common. Um, so this was pre my transition. So I was appearing as a woman, the kind of the rage of knowing something was terribly wrong and being told it wasn't actually a really strong feature <laughs> of that experience. Up until getting an x-ray, things were actually fairly, they felt quite routine. It was like relatively chill. And then I got wheeled into the x-ray. And the moment they took the x-ray, everything changed. I was like vocalizing things and, and they were just talking to me and they just went deadly silent. And they said, you've definitely hurt yourself. And they called in another doctor and they called in all these people to come and look at it. And I just, there's something shifted in the air. And then that was when they organized me to get to a surgeon as quick as possible. Because you could see that the, the bone had both broken and been dislocated. My C4, C5 vertebrae. The surgeon came and saw me and he's like, we're going to operate you on you first thing. And there was a lot of checking of my nerves and my nervous system. And this sort of, there's like a couple of moments where it became a bit alarming and I had this like dry throat and I coughed a couple of times <laughs> and the surgeon was like, he just went really, he was like, just don't. He's like, whatever you do, don't cough, don't move. Do whatever you can to not move because the risk of you being paralyzed is extremely high. His seriousness was the chilling part. There was also a trauma nurse who came to talk to me about my recovery in the um, trauma ward. And I was like, she's like, you've got a place and you'll be there. And I was like, well, doing what? And she was all hopefully learning to walk again. It was this kind of weird thing where I was an absolute exception. I had no nerve damage at all. Rehab was still not nothing, even though I didn't have nerve damage. I'd still broken my and dislocated my neck, and I'd still pulled a lot of muscles, but was extraordinarily lucky and sort of fateful. The accident just hit the accelerator. Yeah, I guess you, you give him another chance at life, having kind of looked on the other side, so looked at death, looked at extreme disability, facing this sense of mortality and lack of time. It was uh, an accelerator or a, a catalyst in the decisions I was making in my mind, which at the time were about my gender and my queerness and, and what I was going to take action with or not. You know, I'd say ever since I was socialized as a human, there's, there's things you hide about yourself. Well, the moment you learn that that's kind of certain parts of you are considered monstrous in different ways, like it doesn't take long to, um, to use masking behaviors. The energy it takes to mask who you are is so extraordinary that that was almost becoming less and less possible so I wouldn't necessarily call it an immediate choice rather than all I was able to do and there's never really a moment 
in these things. There's a kind of accumulation of feeling, but also a disintegration of ability to pretend otherwise. And the balance of those two just kind of flip over at some point. The consequences of deciding to medically transition still have this huge risk of losing anything and everything. So yeah, it was a leap that I decided to take on this sort of choice of choosing myself over the expectations the world had of me. Well, if I don't do this now, when will I do it? Or whatever it costs me now, what's it going to cost me later? And also this sense of, well, I've lost everything anyway. Why not live my life as I choose to? And a kind of removal of social comparison when you're absolutely broken. <laughs> that is a little bit liberating and removes a sense of competition that, that you can be free of. And that kind of golden sense of self was able to shine at that point. I feel a responsibility talking about this stuff because there are lots of different experiences and, and there's a lot of scrutiny around it. But I was an adult and I able to advocate to myself for myself and I did research and I found suitable doctors, but I still didn't have the best experience. It took me a while to find the ones that fit me. And then, I mean, it's taken over time, I feel like I have like a medical team and I like talk about them like that as if I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> celebrity or something. But like, you know, it took a lot of personal advocacy to get there. And it, no, it wasn't super easy. And there are things that happened that I question now as being even appropriate or not wish on another person. There are certain people and experiences I wouldn't suggest another person did. If people come to me who are thinking about transitioning or whatever, I always say to protect the joy of it. And it was actually really fun. It still is fun. It was just like there were bits that were extremely fun. Because there's so much like stuff you have to like wade through to get there. There's so much scrutiny and criticism and media bullshit. And you don't even realize how much you carry with you to get to that point. So the fact that it's actually joyful and fun is, you know, really like, oh, okay. Like it's just, why is that a surprise? How is that a thing that I had to discover for myself. I don't know, but it was, it was great. And I learned to protect that. There's a kind of self-discovery and self-connection with one's own body that when you haven't had that is, is, is kind of like, you know, like in, in music it's about like resonance, you know, and you there's those forks, the tuning forks or whatever, and, and certain frequencies just hit certain bodies, certain mass, certain items in the right way and they just hum. It's just it was just like that. And a sort of sense of power from that, a sense of pleasure and self-understanding. I mean, I can probably come up with some like gimmicky things to tell you, but like it it just doesn't capture was a very personal, very sort of intrinsic experience. 
when you decide to do something that big with your life and your body, there's your decision. Then there's <laughs> notifying other people. It's like you know in yourself, then you know you've got to tell other people. And when you there's something about changing your body, there's no getting out of it, right? There was even a point where you know my voice was changing, and I would speak to people on the phone, and I'd try to push it back up because I just didn't want to have that conversation. I didn't want it to be noticeable. And there's just a point where you can't, you can't get that pitch anymore, <laughs> and it's just, you just have to use your voice. You have to speak in the voice that you have and be that person. And yeah, I mean, like, there's there's a kind of inevitability of telling people. And I use the analogy of like you feel like you're jumping out of an airplane, but you've seen other people go splat you know like it's just like you know you're taking this huge leap you know there's going to be some reactions that don't work for you and that's the thing about self-acceptance it doesn't matter what the external perception is you have to do it when people ask me if there's anything i'd like to change about the past yeah it's an interesting question and i almost waited to feel a sense of betrayal but that like, you know, the thing I love the most is, like, punished me the most. But it, it wasn't like that. The ocean held me in my recovery as well. A large part of my recovery was walking into the ocean and coming in and out, learning to swim again. I swam up and down Coogee, which is where I lived, with, like, a snorkel, so I didn't have to turn my head, and got stronger and stronger. And, like, my experience of waves is so multifaceted and, like, huge. It's been a while since the accident now, so like seven years. And I always mark the anniversary. I usually go for swim in the, swim in the ocean. I mean, I would like to live with less pain because I do, I do generally live with, with pain, chronic pain of a degree. I mean, it's in a way that sort of a marker, like it stops me from working more than eight hours a day, which is not a terrible thing. It stops me from like pushing myself to unreasonable degrees, which is also not a terrible thing and, and something I had a tendency to do. There was a few years of kind of turmoil, settling in and figuring things out. The sky did not fall in, you know, the, the kind of forecast the world tells you on transition or your life or how everything's going to fall apart just didn't happen. Honestly, there is just a point where people move on. People just talk to you about other things and they have their own problems and their own topics of conversation and, and there's a certain type of normality <laughs> that is here now, right? And because I was able to live life more fully and I was able to live in a more joyful way, my life became more joyful. Like, life is... Life is good. Thank you for listening to I'm at a Crossroad. If this episode has touched on issues you're struggling with and you feel like you need resources or support, go to beyondblue.org.au or for 24-hour free counselling in Australia, call Lifeline on 13 11 14 and please look after yourself. I'm at a Crossroad is produced on Bidjigal and Gadigal land by students from the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. We would like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people 
as the traditional owners and custodians of this land and pay our respects to elders past and present. This episode was edited by Jonathan Pearson. Sound designed by Harry Hughes and Campbell Moore. Produced by Jonathan Pearson and Keegan Brown. Executive producers Tristan Black and Angela Chu.